2: Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Very happy to have you as we get underway here on the final day of the week for me, but not for you. You'll be sticking around. Thursday and Friday, we'll have Jonathan Tannenwald sitting in this seat. Well, not physically this seat. He'll be on the show. He'll be hosting... Jonathan Tannenwald is going to take care of the show while I'm gone for a couple of days. And I'll be back on Tuesday. But we've got a big show ahead of that today. Excellent guests line up for you today, including, to start off, talking Champions League, our good friend Janusz Mahalik. He's coming up in just a couple of minutes. So much to cover in the Champions I mean, wow. Wow, the Champions League. Hello, England. How are you? Not very good. I can see that. Also on this program, David Amoyel, our good friend who covers Syria. He'll talk to us about Syria, also about Italy in the Champions League, including Juve today. And perhaps England's woes will be Italy's gains in terms of Champions League spots. Perhaps we'll get into all of that with David Amoyel. That's at nine forty a.m. Eastern Time. Okay. Let's go. Janis Mahalik is awaiting. So let's hit the news before we do that and talk Champions League. Well, I'll start there. I'll start with the results and set the stage. Barcelona 2, Bayer Leverkusen 1. 1-0 to Bayer Leverkusen before Barcelona made their comeback. Sergio Roberto and Luis Suarez with the goals. Obviously, they were missing Lionel Messi, and they lose Andres Aniesta to a hamstring injury as well. Not a great day for Barcelona despite the win. For various reasons, papering over some cracks perhaps against Bayer Leverkusen. Bate Borisov, 3-2 winners at home over AS Roma. We'll talk to David about that one. Arsenal, home losers to Olympiacos. That's right, Olympiacos. Wenger burned by his decision to start David Ospina, who gave up a a terrible, terrible own goal that eventually turned out to be the game winner. Olympiacos uh, gets the win at... The Emirates, um, Bayern Munich, five nothing over Z- uh, Dinamo Zagreb. Excuse me, Robert, uh, Robert Lewandowski continues his amazing form and scores a hat trick in that game. FC Porto, two one over Chelsea. Jose Mourinho goes back to Porto and loses. He dropped several big names for this match in a bid to shake things up. Struggling Chelsea squad, talking about there not being any untouchables in this team, and it didn't work. It did not work. Maccabi Tel Aviv, losing to Dynamo Kiev, 2-0 at home. Lyon, losing 1-0 to Valencia. Zenit, St. Petersburg, 2-1 over Ghent. Today's schedule, bunch of games today. Astana, Galatasaray. You have Malmo against Real Madrid. Shakhtar Donetsk hosting PSG. CSKA Moscow hosting PSV Eindhoven. Manchester United trying to get something good going for the English sides against Wolfsburg at home at Old Trafford. Atletico Madrid against Benfica. Gladbach will host Manchester City, who's trying to get their Champions League program on track after their loss to Juventus in the last match day. And Juventus, who we will talk to David about, is hosting Sevilla. U.S. Open Cup final tonight. Sporting Kansas City in Chester, Pennsylvania, to take on the Philadelphia Union. Reports say that as many as 800 sporting fans have traveled for this game. I don't believe the ticket sales were very brisk for the Union So this might not be the most well-attended U.S. Open Cup final that we've seen, but it will be broadcast on television in high definition on ESPN2 at 7 p.m. Eastern. Reports have suggested, speaking of the Philadelphia Union, that they will hire Octavio Sombrano. As their first technical director, Octavio Zorado, of course, the former head coach of the Galaxy and the Metro Stars, last coach uh, last coach and technical director for El Nacional in his native Ecuador. This is a guy with uh, the second uh, highest winning percentage in league history as a manager, and now he looks to be stepping into a, a, a technical director role for the union they've desperately needed. They've been... Uh, going on this search for a, quote, GM or a technical director or a sporting director, whatever the title happens to be, for more than a year now, Nick Sakevich talking very much about finding somebody to run the program. This is this is a good hire if Sakevich stays out of the way. If Sakevich allows Zambrano to do his job, this could be to the benefit of the Philadelphia Union. I think Union fans should be encouraged by this report, I'm not sure it's official yet. We will let you know when it is. Guillermo Cantu, Secretary General of the Mexican Football Federation, says that Jurgen Klopp turned down an offer or turned down a, an approach to be the Mexican national team manager. Obviously, Mexico looking for a replacement for Miguel Herrera. They have hired Ricardo Tucaferetti as a, a temporary manager uh interim maybe is the is the right tag. He's coaching club. He's coaching country. He'll take this uh this Mexican team into the U.S. showdown at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Rumored candidates for the Mexico job have been numerous and they've included Marcelo Bielsa, Juan Carlos Osorio, Jorge Sampioli, Gustavo Matosas. So we uh, uh Bastosas, we don't know exactly where things sit right now with the Mexican national team head coaching position. They seem to be going through uh, an immense Rolodex of names. Many, many names are getting phone calls or approaches or have been rumored. It seems like it, it seems like every week we've got a new candidate for the Mexican national team job. Uh, we'll see if the, they get this done. Uh, probably not ahead of the USA-Mexico game, of course, which happens a week from Saturday. By the way, let me remind you or let you know, I will be uh, doing Rabble.tv with Jared Dubois for USA-Mexico. That should be fun. Saturday night, October 10th, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Russia's 2018 Camp, uh, World Cup preparations excuse me, are running into trouble with the country sports minister saying that four host cities are well behind on construction uh, of accommodations for players, coaches, and officials. Now you think, okay, players, coaches, and officials, that's not a lot of people. They can get that done. Uh, Well, there's also reports that say that only five of the 11 cities so far have enough accommodations for supporters as well. So the fans who may travel to Russia may find it difficult to find a place to stay. We've had previous reports of of, uh, Russia looking to put people into campgrounds and the like. It's uh, it doesn't seem like this is coming together very well for the Russians. They do have a little less than three years to be ready. Let's hope that's the case. Let's hope they stamp out the racism that seems to be rampant in Russian football and Russian society. How about that? Let's do that. Let's take a break, as a matter of fact. Janusz Mahalek will join us. We'll talk all of the Champions League in just a couple of minutes. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com You're the crowd You're talking too loud When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game's different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call.
3: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk
1: with
2: Jason Davis. Here we are with an opportunity to review everything that's happened in the Champions League, perhaps even look ahead to today's matches with our good friend Janusz Mahalik. You know him from all over the place. Uh, Janish. how are you?
4: I am doing well, Jason. How are you? Uh, I, I hear you, on, you going on vacation? Or I'm taking something?
2: a couple of days off. <laughs> you know how hard it is sometimes. To pull yourself away. Giannis, even if you know your brain needs the rest and you have to sort of step away from, from the game, that's so, there's always something happening.
4: It's impossible. I, I can't. I, I can't believe. First of all, that you need vacation from such a great job. You <laughs> this have, is you true. Know? I mean, it's, it's, it's serious. You know, a couple hours of work and uh, unbelievable. I mean, you can say what you want. You can talk to anyone you want, and you need, need vacation from
2: that. Christ, shh, shh, Giannis, stop, please. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's uh, let's talk Champions League, uh, Giannis, um Obviously, lots of uh, lots of discussion about the, the the English teams yesterday. Arsenal, Chelsea. Both losers. I, I suppose I have to start there. We'll get two other teams going today. This is also compounded by Manchester City losing at home to Juventus from a winning position on uh, the last match day. And uh, obviously Manchester United is, is, has been fine to this point, And maybe they're the savior of, of English football. But what's in general what's going on?
4: Well, I mean, again, I mean, there's so many theories, uh, I suppose. Uh, you know, everybody says, you know, it, it's different in, in playing in Europe. I think there's a lot to be said about that. You know, the narrative, uh, you know, in the past, I guess, Jason, uh, was the British players didn't know, you know, and it was just different, right? But, I mean, if you look at these teams, there are hardly any British players. Uh, the problem, of course, is the tempo of the game, and that's the issue, because, uh you know, even players that come uh, from abroad, from continent uh, to, to, to England, I think they forget how to play properly. I really do. And mm-hmm. it, it's not necessarily their fault, uh, Jason, right? Yeah. I mean, you get thrown into this high-tempo game that even though probably their brain says, well, you can do it differently, but the supporters won't allow you to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they throw a number forward because that's what, what, what the game dictates in England. That's what the, the, that's what the uh, uh, fans want. Can you imagine, you know, Arsenal or, or Chelsea, yeah, well, Chelsea does that from time to time, but any other teams kind of, you know, taking the foot off the pedal and knocking the ball sideways and backwards, uh, you know, as you need to at times in yeah. the game, right? Because sometimes you can't just overcommit going forward. And we've seen it with Arsenal how quickly they got caught uh, by uh, by Olympiacos after after scoring, right? It just, it, it, you know, it's this naivety of, of, of playing certain way in England and then you go to Europe you have to do it differently. So, uh, I, I think a lot of it has to do with that. And, you know, all the fact is, is you know, with Chelsea, I mean, uh, they've never been in a situation like this. Jose Mourinho scrambling. Let's face it here, and he's picking a fight with his players, which... Which he has the right to, by the way. I had no problems with him leaving certain players, uh, you know, behind and not starting the likes of Ozark. And, you know, he's done it over time. He has that right. But the bottom line is, and Jason, you and I know that because we've seen them here in the preseason. I've commentated some games, even against that Red Bull 2 game. I mean, you know, people say, well, it's, it's, it's a friendly, they don't take it seriously. But you could see some problems here. Look, the bottom line with Chelsea is, that Jose Mourinho did not prepare his team properly for the season. Because mm-hmm. at first, in the first couple of weeks, we said, well, Hazard hasn't been playing well, Cesc Fabregas. You know, this is not just one, two, or three players not performing. This is almost the entire Chelsea team that's not performing. And there's only one reason for that early in the season is that Somewhere out there, Jose Mourinho did not get it right in terms of preparing his team.
2: Yeah, you know, like the, the the overarching discussion is, well, England is bad in Europe, or England is bad in the Champions League, and I guess that's true. But I I think it's important, as you've done, to sort of pick out these individual cases. Chelsea is Chelsea's problems are these problems, and they've obviously been there. For the for the entire beginning of of their season, Arsenal's problems are Arsenal. Those, those are not new Arsenal problems. They're just uh-huh. they're they're the same ones, and we're seeing them again in the in the Champions League. Yanis,
4: yeah, I mean, you know, with Arsenal, it's just simple. I mean, you know, Arsene Wenger can tell us all he wants. You know, he believes in his players. By the way, I would have loved to play for 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 Arsenal when I was a player because you know one thing is he would love his players. Uh, to a fault, right? I mean, you know, how long, you know, you saw Diaby, you know, somebody like Flamini scores two goals but never plays and stays there. Nothing's asked of him, right? You know, remember, they they, they still have Thomas Rosicky. How, how long has Rosicky been there, injured or not? Yeah, he'll pop in or, or pop out. You know, some are out there for a game, and, and people will get excited again, and you won't play again. So I don't think I don't think these players at Arsenal are challenged. I mean, they feel comfortable because they know that the changes won't be made. And and you know, I don't even want to go back to that to the to the center of the midfield and even the back. You know, Arsenal continues to neglect the the, the needs they they have. You know, everybody's talking about you know the problem at forward, and yes, one exists there. There's no questions about that. But the same problem. Look look at this. Look how simple it can be look at Manchester United I mean we can agree or not right if they're still playing great they're not playing great they're in the top of the table in the Premier League but they're not doing anything special but look for the last two or three years what have we been saying right they have an issue when scores left they have an issue in the center of the pitch so what do they do? You know, they've had Carrick, who's been wonderful for him, but that's all they had, right? When he wasn't in the side last two years, we were complaining, how come Manchester United doesn't do it? Well, they've done it. They want to got Bastian Schweinsteiger, and they've got Schneiderlin. So between Carrick, Schweinsteiger, and Schneiderlin, they have such a core, central core, that we almost forget that still in the back they have issues, which, by the way, Manchester United still hasn't addressed, in my opinion. But that key part of the pitch has been addressed. We've asked this of Manchester United. They've done it. Arsenal continues to do that. They are, are a naive team that gets you excited because of, of their talent from time to time, but long term is a team that's not going to be winning the major trophies.
2: Yeah, you know, look, maybe Arsenal is just snake bitten or something. I mean, look, I, I don't know if it's the right thing to do to start David Ospina in that match necessarily, Giannis. but clearly. In retrospect, we're all going to throw criticism Arsene Wenger's way because Ospino was a major part of them losing that game with that ridiculous own goal.
4: Yeah, and he's done it already with Czech. He's rested him. I, I think, uh, you know, yeah, it's hindsight, but I, you know, this is this was a big game. Uh, 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 there's, you know, no questions about that. And I think early in the season, when things aren't settled, you still go with your best starting eleven. And I think they were looking. You know, they have a pretty big game on the weekend, right? Uh, why can't I remember who they're playing? It's, uh, I'll, I'll it,
2: find it for you, Anish. I, it's not in my head right now either because we're you, we're still focused on the Champions League. But I will. Uh, right,
4: right, but I mean, you know, I, I do believe. Oh, Man, that, United. <laughs> Man yeah, United, Man United. you know, Man United. And I can't imagine that that was a reason for not starting. You know, Czech. I think he's just trying to keep us being happy for God knows only what, you know what reason. You have a player like Czech. Goalkeepers win healthy, I think you need to have them there. Uh, never mind that, but I mean, look at Petr Cech is still establishing himself at Arsenal in terms of you know that psychology of kind of understanding the 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 pluses and minuses of the back four in front of him, so. So I don't get it. I, you know. And even if there's no mistake, I would have said the same thing, right? Uh, it doesn't matter. For me, Petr Cech needs to play because he's new to the team and you want to establish that back four or back five. That's always been a problem for Arsenal uh, with him in the lineup. So uh, look, I think they, they thought that they're going to beat Olympiacos. Uh, I think they, they've been paired with them for some like four times in the last seven years with Olympiacos. The home side usually gets a result and I think they took it for granted. Uh, I, really, I, I really do think that they thought no matter what they throw out there, they were going to beat Olympiacos and and get ready for Manchester United, and all that good stuff. But it's a mistake that's going to be costly because we all know that they have Bayern Munich back to back coming uh, coming uh, right now. And and look, barring a miracle. I don't know if they, they, you know, if it's going to be all that easy for them coming out of this group.
2: Yeah, they've, they've lost to Olympiakos and, and Dinamo Zagreb, and they're not—they're not supposed to lose to those teams. And now, it's obviously—it's <laughs> uh, obviously a major challenge. J- just
4: to- yeah, Jason. I mean, you just said it right there. I mean, you just said it right there. This is Arsenal. They've lost these two games, that no matter what you think the reason for it was, there's no possibility that Arsenal should be losing to mm-hmm. both Dinamo Zagreb and Olympiacos. Mm-hmm. Just no matter what the, what the reasons are, just too good of a club, spending way too much money. You know, if you look at their you know, the wages and all that, that should not be happening. And I don't necessarily think that we go, well, what's happening with the British teams, this, that, or the other. None of that. In terms of Arsenal, that goes out the window. Yeah. That right there, even if it was the worst formation or 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 whatever you want to say, they, they, they've got to win both yeah. games uh, yeah. at the very least one.
2: I mean, it's it. it look, I mean, well, let's let's look at Bar uh, Barcelona. Uh, uh, of course, Barcelona is is a league ahead of uh, you know Arsenal in, in just in in terms of where they sit right now. Barcelona yeah. is. Um, uh, one of the top teams in the world, but they've lost Lionel Messi. They're dealing with that. They end up falling behind against Bayer Leverkusen. They found a way to win. That doesn't mean that everything's great necessarily, Janish. Yeah. and you can uh-huh. certainly give us an, an, an impression of where Barcelona sits having to deal without, without Messi and now Iniesta's injured as well. Uh, yeah. But But they found a way to do that, especially at home. Yes, they have.
4: I mean, there's always a little bit of luck. I mean, one-two punch, right? A couple minutes, they got it right. They didn't look right. There are issues uh, over there, of course, because, uh, you know, you can you can look at Barcelona. He, here's the deal about Barcelona and Leo Messi. Look, I mean, you're always going to mess a player like this. But if you have in your squad, if if, if you have in your team, Luis Suarez and Neymar, yeah. the front three, we're talking attacking, and... and you can't cope with that, then you don't, you know, you don't belong in La Liga or Champions League. I mean, imagine, you still have Luis Suarez and Neymar. That should be enough. They should be really, I don't want to say no talk about Leo Messi because, of course, he's so important, uh, you know, in everything that we do in this sport. Uh, uh, but they have so much that they should be able to sustain that in the time, uh, for the time being. The problem with Barcelona is that even with Leo Messi, if you look at you know their band and all that, they are very thin in depth and in Quality coming off the bench because remember Rafinha is out for for the season as well. So when you look at them, I would quit. You know, this would be a good time to perhaps take advantage of that because really I don't think that Barcelona have players coming off the bench that can change the game the way normally you know you think of Barcelona playing coming off the bench. You know they have to get themselves in a good position in La Liga and Champions League until January, which I think they will do that because of course they're going to have you know everybody's talking about Arda Turan. But they also have Aleš uh, Vida who I love, is a great player. Uh, you know that came over from uh, was it Sevilla, I think, and and you know can play right back and right mid. You know a little bit of a winger as well. But Barcelona has issued issue past Leo Messi because uh, that's not the sort of depth uh, that we're used to uh, coming off the bench. Mm.
2: So there you go. All right. So uh, we've got Barcelona winners, Arsenal losers, uh, Chelsea. Let's come to Chelsea, and and you sort of addressed uh, again their their start their, their problems to start. Um, Mourinho scrambling here, and and more than more than the, what the issues are in the team, and and again whether or not they prepared properly. What is it about Jose Mourinho? I mean, again, the 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 the, the narratives are easy because they feel so right, Yanis. And in this case, it's it's Mourinho getting that itch again, and not necessarily being uh, comfortable where he is, even though he made this whole to do about coming back to Chelsea, and this is the club that he loves, and he won a title, but it's it it feels. It feels wrong. It feels like it's slipping away.
4: Yeah, I mean, look again. I mean, when you're on top, you can be like Jose Mourinho. That's the way he is. You know. You know. It's hard to believe how much of it it's it's a game for him. You know, within the game, and and how uh, how much of it is true, but. Uh, as I said before, there's not a pro- not a problem in in challenging your players. You know what I mean. So what he's done, I you know I can understand on surface, but you know a lot of times I, I think he went to it a little bit too early. He didn't trust his players. What he's doing with John Terry, uh, I-, I can't comprehend. Right. To be quite honest with you, I, I can't. He's a player that's that's his ha- captain that he loved, that he played every every minute of it, and he just scapegoat out there because I mean I could easily. Yes, yeah, Zuma's come has come in and played well, but. In between him and Cahill, there's no difference. At the time of that switch, to me, there was no difference. I didn't see anything in Gary Cahill that that he's done better than 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 John Terry. So for a captain, for such an important figure, to point you know uh, straight to him almost immediately, uh, uh, that to me is not a good, good move. Everybody says the players love him, uh, you know. Yeah, eleven players love him. The rest don't. You know, that's the way it is. Uh, um uh the, the ones that play always will love him so I think he started this fight I think you know as I said preparation for me it's important uh, I think he was short last season as he's always is with any team that he manages of course because he only plays 13 you know 13 14 players uh, and and the bottom you know the, it, <laughs> the bottom line is that summer even without a major competition which was the case for his team right uh, I don't, I can't, you know, Copa America probably cl- played a little bit of a role, but it's not enough sometimes to recover. And I think you have a, a team of, of some players a little bit older that are struggling right now. Then you have the Diego Costa situation. First and foremost, I mean, the, the, the fight he picked with uh, Eva Canedo was just stupid. Yeah. And he's paying the price for it because of everything else that has mm-hmm. happened, right? Because there he is. I know everything about the game and you don't know. Even in that situation, if he knew and he actually expected it, cano or anybody to even think about that when she's being called by the referee, if he truly truly knew that at that i at that second. He should have foreseen that this is going to happen and jump on Eva, Eva Carnero's back and not allow her to go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If he's that smart. If he's such a smart uh, a person and expects that from, uh, from people to understand what happened. So that's a fight that he's picked that was wrong. You know, you, could, you, 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 could, you have Costa that's going crazy and that's absolutely not right. These two, of course, are a match because they're identical. You know, you look at <laughs> I Costa, it, it w- w- what happened in that, you know, I mean, uh, I, I don't have time for the playoffs. Like this, I really don't, because for me, Costa, and he actually played well in this last game, you know, what I mean, probably one of the few that played well for Chelsea uh, against yeah. Porto. But if you have a player that, that goes on the pitch every game with an intent to send a player off, come on, you know what I mean? I don't want to be, you know, the goody 2 here, you know what I mean? Because I know how the game is played. But I, I just don't have it. I don't have time for a play like yeah, this. But, you know, he does it every game. It's interesting,
2: Jonas. Yeah. It almost feels a little sit and Nancy, but with Diego Costa and Mourinho, that they are feeding each other's destructive sort of behaviors.
4: Absolutely. And at any time, even if things are going well, but especially right now, you don't want any sort of drama that's outside of the game, right? You want the concentration, you want the team to understand what's at stake. You, you know that, you know, you're struggling a little bit, which happens to everyone. I mean, you know, it's, it's not that Chelsea, it can't happen to Chelsea, but you don't want to have any of the side conversations. And, 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 and you know, quite frankly, Mourinho fuels them for, for no reason whatsoever. This is the time that he, you know he needs to step away from the game and, and let his team play a little bit. I mean, the, you know, he, it, it's being said that he protects his players by doing it. I, I think that at this moment he's putting more pressure on his players than actually protecting them.
2: All right, so we've got uh, uh, Chelsea struggling as they lose um, in Portugal. Bayern Munich five nothing over Dinamo Zagreb. So the team that Arsenal couldn't beat, Bayern Munich takes apart five nothing. And Robert Lewandowski, Janusz, uh, Just I, I don't know how, how do we how do we possibly sum up the form of Robert Lewandowski right now?
4: Well, we, we don't. I mean, he's been doing this for a couple of years now, right? I mean, this is nothing new. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit biased, obviously, you know, because <laughs> uh, you know he comes from the country of where I was born. But, right. but, I mean, we all knew this. We've seen it in Borussia Dortmund. He's a wonderful, wonderful striker. You know, we've seen a lot of reports. I'm not going to be too original in a sense. Uh, uh, you know, I think Rafa Honigstein wrote an article. It's You know, it's, it's right. I mean, the system right now suits him. And you know it is true, by the way, that that you know even though even and Rafa said it, that may may not be the total truth. But it, it is true that that there's a time that that you know uh, uh, um, Pep Guardiola, of course, likes the false nine. He's not in this. He's not in the frame of mind where he has a striker. You know the true number nine, right? Even in Barcelona, he had one. Remember Zlatan? You remember how quickly he got rid of him, right? For a number of reasons, not just that. Uh, but I think, you know, he doesn't often know what to do with Thomas Muller when everybody's healthy, right? Remember, uh, when, when, um, uh, uh, under Henkes with Eitel Bar- uh, Bayern was perfect at that time, you know, that that would have been a good time for any center forward, right? Because Bayern Munich are known for them. Uh, remember, Mario Gomez was excellent, uh, Amido Klose was excellent, right? Manjukic was excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pep uh, got rid of Mandzukic as well, but in that system you had white players that that serviced the, the central strikers. Same thing happened to Lewandowski at Dortmund. Uh, you know he was always being serviced uh, with Robin and Ribery when they play. You know they're right. Whatever you read, it's right. I mean, he's not going to get that sort of service. So I think he's benefiting from that. There may have been a little bit of a doubt early on in the season. Remember, Lewandowski doesn't always start, which he's not used to, uh, because I think Pep has some issues in that position and how to play, because let's not forget Pep Guardiola came to Bayern Munich to give them a different look from that of the treble-winning Jupp team. For the future, I'm not necessarily sure if that's working, but I think I'm, you know, I'm glad that Robert Lewandowski is taking advantage, kind of saying to Pep, look, if you keep it simple, this is how we can play. This is the message that I really think that Lewandowski is sending out there. I, I'm not sure necessarily to to Guardiola, but he's shown like if I get the service, I will always deliver,
2: and he does. Yep, he sure has <laughs> many, many goals. Um, over the course of his career, but uh, on absolute fire right now. All right, let's uh, let's look ahead a little bit to today, uh, Janish. Um, you know, obviously, uh, we talked about the the English teams off the top. There, you've got both Manchester teams in action today: Manchester United versus Wolfsburg, Gladbach uh, hosting Manchester City. A little bit more desperation for the citizens right now.
4: Well, yes, because I think, you know, a, a desperation in a sense, what's happening to them uh, overall. You know, I, I think, you know, if you look at uh, United, they're playing a German opposition to Wolfsburg, right? I mean, it's not all that rosy either because they lost the first game. So it's a little bit of pressure, must win. But it's at home and they're the top of the league. So that that will be a little bit uh, easier for them. Uh, but Uh But for Manchester City you know it just it's just funny because i look at that team how they started i kind of always thought and knew that you know this is going to turn a little bit uh uh on them but i i didn't see this collapse uh, but look when I don't care how big a team is, uh, if if you don't have some key players, I, I think you're going to suffer. And you are seeing that with Manchester City, David Silva has been a big loss. I think the way company has started, of course, and, and Mangala, who's finally, remember Mangala was under tremendous amount of pressure last year, it took him a long, long time uh, to kind of adjust to the Premier League, but I think those two finally have, and all of a sudden you have two players in the heart of defense uh, that are not there. Hart wasn't playing again, right, you know, similar situation there. There's a bit of a knock on, uh, you know, in terms of injury with him, but Willie, Willie Caballero's been struggling as we as we know it. It's uh, kind of same situation as Ospina in the last, uh, uh, well, who they lose to against Spurs, I think, 4 1. Yes. So, uh, you know, so you, you're taking three players, you know, that are so important goalkeeper, two center backs, and you look at, the, you know, not playing without Silva. I, you know, I don't want to overthink it. I, I really think that sometimes it's that simple, right, Jason? I mean, yeah. any team that you look, even the teams that, you know, you and I played, even if it's, you know, uh, uh, you know playing with friends, I mean, you always know who the go-to guys are. Yeah. When you struggle, you know who to find that may, may be able to bring you uh, back into the game. And I think some of it you have to put to that. Uh, uh, but psychology plays a big role for me. You know, uh Pellegrini, we go from liking him to, to kind of uh, firing him the next day there's got to be his softness sometimes as a person i think as a manager his softness sometimes comes through the team because to get that sort of response or non-response against spurs that's mind-boggling to me
3: yeah
4: uh, there's got to be a, a bigger bigger issue in, in, you know, I want to say him being a nice man, kind of quiet man, which is okay, not everybody has to be this super vocal leader or a cheerleader, uh, but that mentality has to come from within, and, and I, I have to say, you know, after the lack of effort I saw against Spurs, uh, I mean, I don't know if, if Pellegrini is capable of stumping his foot and, you know, doing sort of what Mourinho is trying to do.
2: It's interesting because that's why he was brought in to replace, mm-hmm. r- replace Roberto Mancini, and you know, by the way, I think my brain somehow switched Manchester United to a winner in their first game. Obviously, they didn't. They want they lost to PSV Eindhoven, so they're right. in a desperate situation, as you said, or sort, uh, reasonably desperate. Wolfsburg going to be tough, um, but if if Pellegrini's not the guy, then you know, are we are we on the verge of another switch for Manchester uh, Manchester City? They have to go find somebody. I mean, is it, Are they going to make a run for Klopp again? Are they going to? Uh, what can they possibly do?
4: yeah I mean I, I you know I don't know what they're going to do in the meantime because I don't know you know yeah club could be one obviously you know let's talk about Liverpool let's talk about him you know I mean I think ideally as you hear I, I think he would want to wait for for Bayern Munich to open up but you know sometimes you force into the situation because if indeed say Manchester City comes in uh, more so than Liverpool that'll be a lot more enticing you know I hate to say that with Liverpool because I have a soft spot for them but I obviously Manchester City is going Going to be a lot more enticing in terms of what you can do and how much you can buy. Uh, you know, he may because look, you know, Pellegrini. I mean, if they go out again like this, I mean, it, it, you're going to have to start thinking about making a decision. As I said, I mean, if you when you had Mancini, he was tough. He wasn't necessarily you know, very, very loud, but I think you need a little bit of a cheerleader sometimes. You know what I mean? Sometimes you do need somebody out, out there that will motivate you. Uh, you know, his, th- Their personality may just do it. You know what I mean? So I, I wouldn't be shocked to see that. Look, I mean, if if, if City lose to mention Gladbach, uh, you know, uh, it, look, I mean, no English team has ever uh, uh, beaten Gladbach in Germany. Mm. Um, you know, I you know I, look, I read some notes, uh, you know, a long, long time ago actually. Gladbach, um, knocked out Manchester City from Europa League, just just so you know. But that's too long ago to even bring it here. But <laughs> I, I think I wouldn't be shocked to see a change at City because it's just you know it would be another failure in Europe. Uh, you know, you're you having a team that, you know, it's not collapsing yet, but after that perfect start, what was it, five games in, in Premier League yeah. with, you know, perfect record, no goals conceded. You're seeing not just losses, but, but the, the sort of effort against Spurs. I mean, that team wasn't dead you know, there's nothing or nobody, no leadership on the field and no leadership of the field to change to change that. Then you gotta kinda all the old stuff comes back, right? Because the questions went away because of that perfect start. But now people are saying, okay, you know, is this sustainable? Obviously You know, uh, Pellegrini hasn't been able to sustain any of that, and especially in the Champions League, which is, you know, it's got to be a priority for Manchester City. Of course, they want to get back and win the Premier League, but they've done it already. I mean, this team spent money and is built to be the best in the world. I mean, uh, I imagine that this is the idea of the ownership that's spending that money, that they want to get the name of Manchester City globally to be on par with that of Manchester United and maybe the old teams of Liverpool, Real Madrid, and Barcelona. And until they do something special in that competition, uh, um, you know, that's not going to happen. I'm not even sure if it's ever going to happen, right? No. Uh, so so you know you look at this this Manchester City who's been continuously failing in 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 in, in, pre- in Champions League and you know remember in the beginning we were sort of saying the first year or two well you know they're paying the price because they you know they don't have the experience in Europe well how long are we going to be saying that I mean they've been yeah. in Europe now for four or five years yeah. and they've spent more money than anybody so so I wouldn't be shocked if if, if look if if they were to lose in Gladbach I, I think you know the. There should be some panning there, for sure.
2: Yeah, it, it's, uh, again, the, the, the overarching narrative is, oh, what's wrong with the English teams? But again, I think this is individually, each one of these teams has a very specific situation that is affecting them. Um,
4: J- J- Jason, just quickly here, and the bottom line, you know, because we have this little bit of a narrative, right, on this side of the pawn against the other side of the pond. And, and I, you know, I, I'm not really in that fight for the most part. You know, it's a friendly banter in some way. Uh, But, you know, there there is always, always, and it doesn't have to be America. This is what people understand because I come from Europe and there's always, you play against English teams, you want to beat them for those reasons. And those reasons are sometimes just what we often talk about is, you know, we are the best, Premier League is the best, England, you know what I mean? And I know that, that there's a lot of English folks, you know, people that we know in the media, they know that that's not the case. But if you go, you know, how else you explain Dina Zagreb, right? I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's impossible otherwise. You know, teams in Europe get up for English team, that little bit of extra. Yeah. It's, it's just the bottom line.
2: Very, very, uh, very astute point. Janusz Mahalik, go follow him on, on Twitter. Uh, Janusz Mahalik is uh, one of the best broadcasters out there. I love having you on the show, Janusz. Thanks so much for the insight. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you through uh, the rest of the Champions League campaign.
4: Thanks Jason and uh, I hope you have some you have awesome places to go on your vacation I appreciate and uh, it. we'll be listening to you on Sirius uh, Sirius Radio soon enough. There
2: you go. You can also hear Ganesh on Sirius. And thanks to World Radio.
4: Soccer Talk of course because you know I'm a big fan.
2: Absolutely. There goes Johannes uh, von good stuff from him. When we come back David Moyes yeah, will shift down to Italy and talk about Syria, and also there's Italian teams in the Champions League as well. Soccer Morning WorldSoccerTalk.com be right back. When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game's different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast? Call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv where it's your team and your call.
3: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk
2: with Jason Davis. All right, we are back on Soccer Morning. We're going to turn now to Italy, Syria, Italian leagues, and the uh, Italian teams in the Champions League, rather, with the uh, the man who has more uh, copycat accounts than anyone else I know, David Amoyel. <laughs> <laughs> what is that all about, David?
1: It's great to be on. Thanks for having me, and especially for having me such a after such a great guest. So I'm
2: excited to be here. Yes, D- David on Twitter is David M O L, Except no uh, substitutions. A-O-M. I'm uh, Sorry, A M O Y A L. All right, David. Let's up. Uh, we we did Champions League with Yanish. I think it's easy to just roll into Italy and their Champions League uh, fortunes. For obviously, Juve's got Sevilla today. We can come to that. But but Roma and Roma in a in a wider context, both what happened yesterday against Bate Borisov, but in general the state of of Roma's campaign so far. Um, how, where where are we? Because this is you know this is the grand this is the grand project of Italian football.
1: I agree. I think you know Roma this season. You know they have a great opportunity to win the league. Um, you know last time we talked, uh, we discussed how Juve has taken a step back to take two forward. Uh, Got rid of a lot of veterans, brought in some younger players that they need to assimilate. Uh, I didn't expect Juve to get off to such a bad start, but I certainly expected them to not be uh, running out of the gate either. So Roma, you know, has a great opportunity to win the league title. They've been off to an okay start, uh, nothing great. I think they've been really hurt by injuries now. Uh, Zeneca, I think, was a superb signing for them. Even if he hasn't scored really much, uh, he really brings a lot to the table. They haven't had a central striker like that in years. Uh, I think Roma, too, saw Juve taking a step back, and they made some sacrifices on the market. They brought in Salah, who was sensational at Fiorentina. They decided to keep it Turbe. After all, um, you know, they sold some players that weren't really on their squad last season in Bertolacci and Romagnoli and they kind of financed, uh, their camp, their acquisitions by that. So compared to years past where they lost key players on the team and they had to replace them, they were playing with house money essentially. So um, not off to a great start in Serie A, and yesterday I thought it was very disappointing that we down down 0 against uh, bate you know, who had really struggled against Leverkusen. They had only been out of their half of the pitch three times in that match. So certainly very disappointing yesterday. Uh,
2: and so let's uh, let's turn now to, to Juve, as you, as you talked about, not coming out of the gates that strong, uh, an expected step back. But what does this mean for? For their Champions League campaign, building off of what they managed to do last year as a finalist.
1: Well, you know, what's interesting with Juve is, you know, up until last season, you know, there was a perception, which I think was based a lot in reality, that they struggled in Europe and were great in Italy. Uh, Last season, you know, they won the league title, but they didn't, uh, you know, get anywhere near as close to the number of points they had in the preceding season, but they made it to the Champions League final. I think even the most optimistic Juve fan um, was very happy with that. Um, And this season, you know, they really struggled in Serie A, and they had that huge win in Manchester against City. So it seems like tables have a little bit turned for Juve. You know, Allegri, the coach they brought from Milan, you know, really changed their mentality to try to win in Europe more. But now it, it may gone a little bit too far. In Serie A, they certainly have struggled. Uh, there were a couple of matches where I think they were, the result was a little bit deceiving against Udinese and Frozinone. They only collected one point at home, but they had an inordinate amount of shots of goals, didn't go through. But um, there's definitely reasons to be concerned about Juve I think they need a, a win tonight just for the team morale but they really need to get back on track in Serie yeah uh, if they don't win the title so be it they won four in a row but they really cannot afford to be out of the Champions League next season yeah no,
2: and we're going to come to that um, obviously Juventus starting well in the Champions League with that win away to Manchester City maybe maybe you don't expect that the, those points so they, they're, they're, they're okay they need to beat Sevilla as you said uh, maybe for for confidence, morale, and, and uh, Robert in Southern California has asked on Twitter who you see making the Champions League spots. Now that's a long season; there's a long way to go. David, we we don't know how things are going to play out in terms of injuries and and signings and everything else. But Juve has to be in that group to maintain. I mean, this what, what happens, of course, with these big clubs is you need that revenue, you need the Champions League money to keep yourself uh, going with the same sort of momentum. Otherwise, you take a massive step back. So. When you look at the potential Champions League qualifiers, Juventus is going to be trying to get there, but who, who, do you have, who, who do you have right now, if you had to pick it?
1: It's a great question, and I appreciate the person tweeting it in. Um, you know, I would say there's going to be a group of teams. You're going to have Roma, Napoli, um, to me, look like two teams that will definitely be competing For that, then I think Juve, you know, once they get their injured players back and Kadir is finally going to be back, Uh, he's been out, he got an injury in the preseason, he's going to start today. So I think Juve, once they get their injured players back and once they start integrating some of their new players, I think they, you know, it's still early enough in the season that they can contend. Um then we saw Inter off to a very good start. Um, you know, they lost uh pretty heavily against Fiorentina, but they won their first five matches. Maybe not in brilliant fashion, but you know, what I've learned is sometimes you get those ugly wins. They you know, it's just as many points as when uh you win five zero. So I think Inter is gonna be in the mix with that. And then I think, you know, there's a growing middle class of teams in Italy that's really fascinating. I think Fiorentina really deserves a lot of credit. Um, this summer, you know, there was so much drama with Salah uh, going on. Um, you also see two of their former stars, Pedrado and Jalvatic, who are doing, you know, really well for Juve. And in Inter, you, you add all that up, and Fiorentina is doing really, really well. Uh, their coach that they hired, uh, Paolo Sosa, has been doing uh, very well. Them. So I think you know they're going to be in the conversation uh, for that as well. I think last year too is a key team to watch as well. And you never know, there could be a spoiler like Torino, who's a team that's uh, g- gaining a lot of uh, attention because of the way they play. Uh, so I think there's really this interesting growing cl- middle class of teams in Italy, and I'm going to write about that later this week. And there's also Sassuolo, who's a team, I played a lot of Italian players in offensive style. Uh, their big star is Domenico Berardi, who was really a player to watch, so. I think it's going to be a really fascinating season in Serie A. There's really a lot of parity. It kind of reminds me yeah. a little bit of what we see with the NFL right now, not a dominating team, yeah. uh, but a lot of good teams competing.
2: Yeah, it seems it seems as though there is sort of this uh this group of teams who are all relatively close together and and obviously with Juventus having taken a step back, I think I th- I mean from an outsider's perspective, not not necessarily invested all that much in Serie A, I can say that I think it would probably be good to have a new champion this season. Um, yeah. it, speaking of Champions League spots, David, so much being made of the English uh, teams struggling in the Champions League so far in the group stages. Not a win among them. Uh, games today for Manchester United, Manchester City as they try to to, to get right. It, it, there's a little bit of talk about uh, you know Italy maybe getting a spot back. Is that is that something that you yeah. see coming down the pipe? And how does that benefit the league? Obviously, massively.
1: Oh, oh. It would definitely financially be a big benefit. You know, I think Italy, I'm not a huge expert on coefficient, but yeah, Italy's competing with England for that spot. It would really help for Roma to get out of their group. Um, Despite yesterday's loss, it's not a very difficult group. I think they're really going to be competing with Bayer Leverkusen after Barcelona to get out of the group. So despite yesterday, I think they can still... Make it. I think, you know, You uh, Italy really could use the teams in the Europa League to do well. Uh, for the second season in a row, we saw uh, Lazio get eliminated in the preliminary round that happened to Napoli the previous season. Mm. And it's kind of like a hangover for those teams. I think it's never easy to be in the Europa League when you thought you'd be in the Champions League. Uh, but I look at the teams that are in the Europa League. Fiorentina could do well. So, um, I think, you know, it'd be great for the league. I think everyone in Italy started giving more importance to the Europa League once, uh, they decided that if you win it, you make it to the Champions League. So I think this could be the season, uh, that we see a fourth place being added to Italy. I think what would really help is making the third place team an automatic qualifier to the group stage because, like I mentioned, both Lazio and Napoli have been eliminated in that round in the past two years.
2: Mm. All right, so we've got an interesting beginning to the season. Uh, you know, again, Juventus four time uh, four wins, in a, uh, four championships in a row, four Scudettos in a row. Now they're uh, obviously trying to rebuild after uh, after seeing some some major figures leave. Fiorentina top of the table at the moment. Um let's just that's just uh shed some some praise on the teams that have overachieved so far in 2015 David uh, again it's a long season lots of uh, of games to go only six played but if you had to take a, a if you had to pick out a team that you're a little surprised to see doing so well or or if you want to flip it around teams that are are obviously disappointing uh, that would be uh, you know who who is that as well
1: Well, I think there's, you know, we talked a little bit about Fiorentina, Sassuolo, and Torino. I think Torino's really uh, a fascinating team. You know, they sold uh, Darmian to Manchester United, and he's kind of changing a little bit the perception that former Serie A players struggle in the Premier League. Really been sensational. Everyone that followed him closely with Italy and Torino. It's not surprised. So Torino, you know, they lost him. They are reinvested the money they received for him very well. They got this midfielder, Bazzelli, who used to be on Atalanta, who's been off the sensational start for them. Um, they kept their defense, their two center backs, Glick and Maksimovic. Uh, Maksimovic been heard. is a very good player. So they're a very interesting team. They have uh, veterans up front. They have Palarella and Maxi Lopez, you know, the good strikers. Um, so Torino, you know, in years past, they had sold Cechini, Maldila, and they have kind of been bust since they left Torino. I think Torino really has one of the best coaches in Serie A, uh, Gianquiero Ventura. He's kind of an old-school Italian coach who really gets the most out of his players. So I think, you know, for a casual Serie A observer, uh, someone who maybe would like to try a new team on FIFA, that might be fun to use, I would recommend Torino.
2: All right, David. the The state of and, and and I always do this. I'm a big picture guy. I can't help it. The state of Italian football. Uh, we've talked about the Champions League spot. Uh, that would obviously be a big benefit financially. But in in terms of the general finances, uh, we've seen, you know, seen struggles in in clubs. Um, mm-hmm. with major problems and disappearing, and, and obviously we know infrastructure in Italy has long lagged mm-hmm. behind the rest of Europe. Clubs trying to make I mean, Juventus opening up their beautiful new building. Um, a couple of years ago, Roma's trying to get theirs done. Where do things stand in in a general sense in Italy trying to maintain um you know some parity with some of the best uh, leagues in, in the in the continent.
1: It's a really great question, and it's, uh, it's a complicated answer. I would say, you know, uh, clubs in Italy have historically found very good formulas to acquire players. You know, uh, the formula of buying, uh, getting a player on loan with option to buy, and then uh, now we see some new two-year loan deals with forced option to buy that Italian clubs <laughs> trademark, and now other clubs buy and use that formula to acquire Puma from a. Uh, Juve. So I think, you know, there's been a lot of uh, creative accounting, for lack of a better word, and it's possible that it's going to come back to bite some of these clubs. Inter had really a great summer in the transfer market. They acquired a lot of really good players, but they really put um, it's not that they bought them outright. They bought them on loans with options to buy. They're kind of basically kicking the can down the road for when they have to pay um, these players. So I think, you know, if they don't make the Champions League next season they might be in big trouble um so it'll be interesting to see what happens there um there's some other clubs who are very fiscally responsible i think napoli uh they've always turned the profit under their president de laurent he's going to family as the movie producers uh they've been a very um conservative club financially. i think it's really benefited but they're really more the exception rather than the rule It'll be interesting to see what happens with Milan, if this deal with this mysterious Mr. B goes through. There seems to be really a lot of issues going on with that. Um, They certainly could use an influx of cash there. Uh, The problem is the stadiums. There's really uh, not many clubs who are really making an effort uh, to build new stadiums. Right now, it's really only Juve and Udinese that have state-of-the-art stadiums. So um, I think there's still some concerns with the finances. I think getting that extra Champions League spot, though, would help Italian soccer as a whole
2: financially. Mm. Uh, you know, obviously, when I reference um, um, clubs going, you know, clubs disappearing or having to be relegated due to financial, we, we would talk about Parma and, and the situation at, at Parma. Uh, as long as it's not going to create a domino effect across Italian football, I imagine it can be contained. But has has Italian football done a good job of trying to learn lessons from what's happened?
1: Um. Yes and no. I think, you know, the Parma one was shocking to a lot of people because it's a club that people know outside of Italy. Um, but this is somewhat fairly common. In Italy, my hometown uh, team, who Alexi Lala used to play for, you know, went bankrupt and had to start over from the fourth division. This does happen, not I think frequently, but it does happen here and there. I think, you know, in Italy, they're trying. I think the Parma thing might have been you know, a moment where maybe clubs are going to change that attitude. I think the fact that now there's so much um, looking at what's going on with Milan and this deal with Mr. B is a sign that they don't want another Parma to happen. But I still have a little bit of concerns about that. Um, I think, you know, Italy as a whole needs to make a a commitment to be a little bit more transparent financially with the clubs.
2: Um, uh, when we, when we talk about, um, about AC Milan, you did mention to me before we came on the air that, uh, Kevin Prince Boateng may be making a, a return to AC Milan. We know, um, we, we know about, uh, Mario Balotelli and the continued struggle to figure out his talent and how to make it come good. It, it, where do things stand right now with, uh, with AC Milan?
1: To me, Milan, good or bad, is always the most fascinating club in Italy. They're definitely the most entertaining, and I think they're the most uh, fun uh, club to write about. So I think, you know, this season, what was very positive about Milan is they finally spent a lot of money uh, in the summer. They were the club that spent the most uh, net sales-wise, as Wenger would say. So uh, they spend the money. I think the jury's still out if uh, they spend the money well, but it's certainly an improvement from getting guys on loans and free transfers. Um, Balotelli so far has been playing pretty well for them. Uh, I think yeah, there's a little less pressure because he's not expected to be the savior and a full-time starter. And I think they're kind of taking the same approach uh, with Kevin Prince Boateng. Uh He's back training with the team today. Uh, he can't sign with them until January. He's still under contract with Schalke, but um, it looks almost sure that he'll be a Milan player. Uh, his agent is someone that works a lot with Milan, so I think he'll be part of the team. You know, He had been linked to MLS for a little bit, uh, but he's been in Milan a lot, so I think he'll join the team in January. Uh, Milan, though, will continue to be really an enigma me, you know, three coaches later I don't see a big improvement from Allegri, I think Mihailovic is a very good coach Uh, let's see though if the personnel that they spent a lot of money on this summer can really elevate the team though. Mm.
2: Uh, David, since I have you very quickly before I let you go, uh, looking at the the list of games for this weekend, if you had to pick one where should people turn their attention?
1: I think uh, Milan-Napoli was going to be a great match. Um, Napoli had a great performance against Juve. Uh, I'm a huge fan of their coach, Sarri, who was at Empoli before. Uh, I think what we saw against Juve was really the blueprint of what his teams do. His teams play very compact. Uh, they put a lot of pressure on the opposing team, and the other team has possession, and they're just very creative offensively. I think Higuain has been an absolute joy to watch. I have to say who's the best player in steady eyes. right now I would probably pick him. And Insigne is having really a strong comeback from his injury. Um, Milan, you know, is going to be desperate for points. Uh, Their executive director, Galeani, already went to the training session yesterday to tell the team that they really need to do better after all the investment. So that's the game that I'm really going to be uh, watching for. It's the late Sunday game. Uh, So I think that's going to be a really good one.
2: Gonzalo Higuain. The uh, one of the best players in Italy at the moment and yet can't get into the Argentinian, uh, Argentinian <laughs> national team. D- David Amoyal on the Soccer Morning with us, talking Italy. David, uh, great stuff as always. I'm sure we'll be talking to you very soon uh, about developments um, in Italy, uh, both Champions League and within the league. Appreciate the time.
1: Great. Thank you so much. And just one last thing, you know, we're starting to cover a lot more MLS on our website. Uh, we're really trying to introduce the league we have a lot of readers you know, in Europe, uh, outside of the US. So, if any of the listeners are interested in contributing, uh, please contact me. My Twitter account is my email address. So I'm sure you're not contacting one of my impersonators. Just so contact me, and I'd be very happy to talk to you. There a you lot go. About it. So, da- thanks again, Jason, for having me
5: on.
2: You're welcome, Dave. David M-O-L, Amoyal, on Twitter, all, all together. You'll figure it out. John Luca DiMargio is the website. As David said, they're covering MLS. Uh, more and more all right here's an opportunity for us to go ahead uh and uh step aside and uh, get back on the air and talk to you guys if i can just find what i'm looking for on my uh, little button thing here phone lines will be open for however long they need to be so call us up soccer morning worldsoccertalk.com be right back Don't throw. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning, Wednesday edition of the program. All right, here's what I need to tell you about tomorrow, Friday, and Monday. I'm going on a bit of a vacation. Yes, I'm stepping aside for a couple of days. Don't worry, though. Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com is going to be filling in. He's going to do an excellent job. But you need to be aware that the web show... This program, worldsoccertalk.com, during Jonathan's stay, will move to 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Okay, just adjust your alarms and your notices accordingly. It's only one hour, not a big deal. Jonathan Tannewald filling in soccer morning, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Wednesday, sorry, Thursday, Friday, Monday. I will return on Tuesday, October 8th. Right. Yes. So I'm stepping away to celebrate my birthday, but I'll come back ready to go all fired up. And I'm going I've been asked, man. So Giannis, so I you honest, sort of making fun of me a little bit there uh, when we got when we had him on the show about, you know, having this job and needing a vacation. Of course, he's, you know, he, he's, he's he's just giving me a hard time. We all need vacations no matter what we do. Uh, but he said something interesting about, you know, I, I said it's difficult to step away. And I've already had that discussion with my significant other about being able to put the phone down during my vacation, I'm already been, I've already been told you won't be able to survive without your phone. You won't be able to survive without checking Twitter and soccer news every five minutes. And you know what? She might be slightly right. And I'm gonna, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It's going to be like taking a pacifier away from an infant. Why would you do that? If it makes them happy, let them be happy. That's what I'm saying. All right. Big game tonight. PPL Park. Chester, Pennsylvania. A crowd of 5,000 might be on hand. I don't know. Mike in Philly, what's going on?
3: <laughs> a little more than 5,000. Uh, not not a sellout. It's not looking like a sellout. But I think we will match with that last year, which honestly was probably the best. I've been to... I think every game at PPL Park and last year's Open Cup final is hands down the best atmosphere there. Yeah, Loudest it's ever been and I expect tonight to be the same. I'm thinking 15 to
2: 16,000. Okay, well look, that's strong. Which, that's pretty strong. For a Wednesday night and you know what, the weather how's the weather in Philly because I know down here in DC it's pretty wet.
3: Uh it's a little rainy verse saying it's going to stop uh Around three o'clock, so it should be fine for game time. Okay,
2: because because um, Hurricane Joaquin is messing with the weather on the East Coast. My my trip is messing with my trip, and I, I just I didn't know if if you were going to end up having a sort of deluge situation um, on the on uh, on the banks of the river there for this game, which you know, which would obviously dampen the crowd. Yeah, I mean
3: i'll be honest it's a little bit of a disappointment that we can't manage to sell this out um that being said i'm trying not to worry about it the river end's completely sold out uh last year's as jam-packed as i've ever seen it this year's probably going to be the same uh so it's going to be an amazing atmosphere regardless of if it's a technical sellout or not
2: everyone who's there wants to be there mike what's what's interesting what's interesting about the state of the philadelphia union and i've seen this argument made i hate this argument i hate the we need to lose to get better argument i hate it when it's brought up with the national team i I just hate it i think it's ridiculous no fan should ever buy into the idea that a loss is better for their team than a win uh but i've I've heard it said and and i'd love to get your response that if the union win this this cup, if they if they win the trophy tonight and they beat Sporting Kansas City, it just puts a Band-Aid on something that's a gaping wound. Now, if Octavio Zambrano is coming in, maybe that helps. But if if you buy do you buy into the notion that winning only gives the the current regime um, you know more ability to sort of ignore the problems? Um, to the regime
3: ignoring the problems. Yes, I don't think winning tonight will make them worse. I think it will make them better. I think they can use winning the Open Cup and the extra allocation money and the Champions League as a springboard uh, to sort of replicate a little bit of what DC United did. So although it may give the ownership a little bit of a pass, a little bit of an extension, overall a win tonight I think is going to be vastly more helpful than a loss would be.
2: Okay, fair enough.
3: Um, That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping they get the extra money. I hope Octavio comes in. I hope things start clicking. They got the USL team in Bethlehem starting next year. I think, and I'm one of the front office's biggest critics, I think, but I I think this could be a turning point for the for the franchise. We're not going to go on a wild spending spree, but I think things may start to be turning around. I'm cautiously optimistic there. Okay.
4: Um,
3: As far as the game tonight goes, I was wondering what your opinion is, uh, what you're expecting, and it wouldn't be the union without a goalkeeper controversy. Uh, Who do you think Jim Curtin should start in goal? Uh, should it be McCarthy who played every game in the Open Cup up until now and got the team where they are in the tournament, or should it be Andre Blake, who's obviously the better talent and I think substantially uh, the better keeper?
2: Well, you got you got uh, Blake coming off that performance against the Revs, right? So his confidence is is bursting. Uh, but McCarthy has has proven you know capable of doing the job, and I think. Maybe continuity tonight is more important. Uh, Maybe having the team feel as though the things that have been successful in this tournament to this point are still the things that can make them successful. In that case, it's McCarthy. I I think that in terms of this game overall, I'll be faster to know what kind of energy level Sporting Kansas City has. They rested guys on the weekend partly for this game, but also because they just needed to rest guys. Um, And they they managed to get a draw against uh, the Sounders at home. I I guess for me, he's just going to go for it, but you know, if 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 there's a a crowd and the atmosphere is good, then Philly really does maybe have an advantage there. I think Sporting in, wins in the end, Mike. I'm just my gut says that, but I could see th- I could see Philadelphia giving them a real a real difficult time of it. I don't think it's going to come down to keeper, is what I'm saying. Yeah,
3: and I don't think it'll come down to keepers. I just think it's funny the union have another keeper controversy. Um, I, I I'm really hoping the union can win. It's a one off game. Obviously, they're one of the worst teams in the league, but it's MLS. Anything can happen. Anything can uh, happen. Yeah, I, I'm hoping go Union, and uh, let's see what happens tonight. I hope go. everyone watches.
2: It's actually on a channel. Too. It I is. It's that. on a channel. It's on ESPN two. Mike, appreciate the phone call, man. Best of luck to your Union. Okay. All right, there goes Mike in Philly. Mike with the Mike has the Philly accent. I love. I love when people who call me from uh, places with notable with known accents actually have said accent. Because it feels authentic. Mike feels like an authentic Philly sports fan, a union fan, living, dying with his teams. Philly sports fans, okay, maybe they're a little notorious for certain things, but they're also notably passionate. Notably pla- I mean, when we talk about the some of the craziest sports radio in the country, Philly gets top of that list regularly because their fans are just out there. Fantastic. Eight uh sorry, six four six eight three two. 3909, 646-832-3909. A couple of minutes left here on the show. If you want to get in, if you have thoughts on the U.S. Open Cup tonight, Champions League, maybe get some predictions here. Maybe give me a sense of whether or not you think Manchester United can turn it around at home against Wolfsburg, whether or not Manchester City can go to Germany and beat Gladbach. I, I, I doubt it. I very seriously doubt it. Whether Juventus can continue their better than league form in the Champions League against Sevilla. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to pick Malmo to beat Real Madrid, but wouldn't it be amazing if they did? Wouldn't that be great? We could have a we could have like a Swedish themed party on this show when I got back if Malmo could re- beat Real Madrid today. You Got Astana and Galatasaray. I imagine that's the game a lot of people will not be paying much attention to, but it could be interesting. Uh, CSK Moscow and PSV Eindhoven. Eindhoven off the win over Manchester United. They have to go to Moscow and take on CSKA. You have Atletico Madrid, who right now in, uh, in La Liga are uh, somewhere down 7th place, I think, right now. Does that sound right, Trev? Uh, La Liga standings. Let me just Google said standings. Oh, they're in 5th place right now. So Atletico Madrid um, today, uh, against home against Benfica. Uh, so uh, we'll see how they do, um, Diego Simeone and company do in that particular match. 6468323909. I'm I am picking I'm picking both German teams to win. No, I'm not picking. I'm picking Manchester United to win at home. Manchester United to win against Wolfsburg. Uh Gladbach to beat City. Juve to draw with Sevilla, I think. That's where I'll go with that one. Uh Moscow, CSKA Moscow and Eindhoven. I see a draw there. Shakhtar Donetsk and PSG. See if the PSG and where does Donetsk play their games now? I I always forget that they're not anywhere close to Donetsk these days, that they have to play hundreds of miles away because of what is a continuing ridiculous, disgusting, horrific situation in Ukraine. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Not political commentary. I think we can all agree what's happening in Ukraine is fairly ridiculous. Speaking of uh, U.S. Open Cup final, it is great to have it on ESPN2 tonight. I'm ecstatic that we get a, an actual major television broadcaster in HD showing this game. I am aware that uh, uh, Taylor Twelman, I think Adrian Healy, are going to do this game via remote. So they're going to, or not via remote, like, but they're going to do the game remotely, probably from Connecticut. And that's—I don't know—that that says anything about the U.S. Open Cup necessarily, or if it's more about ESPN. Yanis, you know, things. Yanis came on the show today, and before we got on the air, we were just sort of yeah, talk about the industry a little bit. And it's a—it's an interesting time for the for the industry. Not that I want to go into some details, and I don't have much to be honest with you. There you go. But if you want the U.S. Open Cup to matter, if you're ready for the U.S. Open Cup to take the next step, you got to watch, and you got to tell other people to watch, and you got to. You got to get. We've got to get momentum behind this thing. If the U, if the U.S. Open Cup is going to take a place among the more important tournaments, the more important competitions, if we want the teams to take it seriously earlier, you need to watch. Got to make this into a big deal. Got to turn this into a game that's got actual interest behind it. I don't remember last year's final very well. I don't. I apologize for that. But I do remember Sporting Kansas City and uh, and Seattle at, at Sporting Park with the penalties and Eddie Johnson. I do remember that game. Eddie in Brooklyn. What's up, man?
0: Hey, was good? I just figured i bother you one more time before you went Bo- on vacation. Bother
2: me, man. Bother. Go ahead. Uh,
0: yeah, who was the, the union fan that called in just before?
2: Mike from Philly.
0: Mike from Philly. All right, so kind of – you know, people saying that they don't want the union to win because it would mask, like, bigger issues. Yeah. It could, it could serve as a turning point, because if you remember when DC United were going through the worst season anyone has ever seen, they ended up beating the mm-hmm. RSL, and people were worried about what they would do in our Champions League, and then they just turned around and had... The best, worst, the first anyone has ever seen in the league, yep. and, and actually perform pretty well in TCL. Yeah.
2: So, and Mike mentioned that. Mike mentioned that as a possible. I mean, that that's got to be the hope, and I think that's why if you are a Union fan, you want to win the game because guess what? What's the point of the game to win trophies? Just you don't you don't ever yeah. pass up a trophy. That that was what I meant when I said I don't believe in it at all. You you never pass up an, a, a trophy. I would want the United States to win every trophy possible, whether we ever play good soccer or not, Eddie. I don't care. I mean, I don't care. I don't care about good soccer. I care about trophies. Um. First, I mean, if you can get good soccer and trophies, yeah, more power to you. Uh. So yeah. So we'll see what happens with the union. They they could use it as a springboard. Definitely.
0: Yeah. I, the main reason I'm calling that was Champions League. Okay. I noticed there's a there's a there's a new narrative now surrounding Premier League teams. Yeah. That apparently that the Premier League is now so competitive that it's draining the Premier League clubs, and that's why they're not performing well in the Champions.
2: League. I, I don't think that. I mean, I wouldn't buy that for a second. No.
0: No, I wouldn't either because then if you're telling me that, then you're telling me that the Premier League wasn't competitive when Chelsea won it. The Premier League wasn't competitive when Manchester United won it. Like
2: well, really I mean was, it, it's quote
0: unquote always competitive.
2: Right, right. Well it's clear, Eddie, that there's more money in that league now and that is driving I guess improvement of these sides and it's making it tougher on the top side. But this is also about mismanagement at Manchester United during the Moyes era and the failure to to strengthen their team. They finally done so, but now they're still kind of, you know, they're still getting into the Van Hall uh, era. This is about Jose Mourinho losing his grip on Chelsea. This is about uh Wenger having lost his grip for a long time on Arsenal and it's just, you know, again not strengthening. They didn't sign an outfield player during the during the window. I mean, this is about Manchester City not having the mentality. Again, these are individual issues for me, not necessarily about, uh, oh, England's so hard, of course they can't compete. Bullshit. Sorry. Sorry.
5: No. <laughs> uh, my main thing is,
0: I just, like I've been saying this for like the last two seasons, Premier League may have the best, you know, one through 20 in the world, but when you compare their top five or even their top six to the other leagues, it, 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 they don't compare. There, there's There's no elite team in the Premier League. As much as people want to look at a Chelsea or a City, where would they finish in La Liga when you look at the top three in La Liga? Yeah, uh, where would they finish? And you know, I just don't think that they're they're on they're on that level. And Spain specifically is just the top five in Spain. I don't think any any other league in the world can match it. Sure, What's sure.
2: sure. Hey, look, I mean that that matters. I think obviously parity is better for the overall story of the season. If you're if you're not if you don't necessarily have a team in that mix. Uh, the Premier League's going to be more interesting to me if everybody's beating everybody else for the time being than if Chelsea was running away with it or City was running away with it, Eddie. So, I mean, it, the, the, you know, it's different strokes for different folks.
0: Here's my thing, though, with the parity thing. The Premier League doesn't really have parity. That's a myth.
2: No, I know. The same know.
0: three teams win it every oh, single year. Oh,
2: I, I'm aware of this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it do, it does not in terms of the championship. But you could argue that, you know, 5 through tw- 20, any of those teams can beat any of those other teams on a given day. Now that again, that doesn't that
0: literally, but that but that doesn't mean anything. if the same team wins it every year. No,
2: no, I agree. I agree. I'm I'm just saying that I'm just saying that in the narrow window of parody that's possible in England, they've gotten a little bit more of it recently. But it still doesn't mean it's as you said. It still doesn't mean it's parody.
0: Yeah, because look at the top of the table right now, Manchester United, one of the three teams that have won in the past ten years, on first. Uh, if it's not, then maybe it'll be City, one of the other of the three teams. Who have won it? But that'll end up winning it, and then maybe you know, I mean, Arsenal's not going to win it. Tottenham are going to win it. Chelsea, if they ever got this stuff together, might win it. But it's going to be one of those same three teams, just like it is in La Liga, just like it is in uh, the boom. Well, not maybe not the boom, but just like it is in Serie A. Uh, even in Serie A, Inter Milan were atop the table, and they're one of the same three teams that have won it the past ten years. Yeah, so Always talk yeah. about parity, yeah. like even MLS. Like if people want to talk about MLS as parity. If the Galaxy win it again
2: this year, you I can't know. tell me about parity in MLS. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, th- you'd have to split things up playoffs. Uh, yeah, and I understand, Eddie. I got to run. Appreciate the call, though, man. Hi,
0: right, man. Have a good okay. vacation.
2: All right, it goes Eddie in Brooklyn. I want to squeeze in one more call uh, because Nick in Toledo has been patient. What's up, Nick? What's going on, Jason? How are you? I'm very well. I, I believe Nick, you were the one that told me what's today's like International Podcast Day or something.
5: It is. It is International Podcast Day. I'm so excited about it. I took the day off of work so I could call into your show, oh, man. Oh, that's
2: amazing. I, I don't know much about International Podcast Day, but it sounds awesome. Uh, so, yeah, celebrate. Okay, let's all have a podcast party. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Whatever. <it is. laughs> What's on your mind well, it's today? a good
5: day because you you got International Podcast Day today. Plus, my Red Devils, Manchester United, uh, playing a home game in the Champions League. And they need to bounce back after a, a difficult loss in uh, – against Eindhoven, but I think they'll b- bounce back today against Wolfsburg.
2: Yeah, I think they'll probably win at home uh, against Wolfsburg. Um you know, overall the state of that team, you know, they're first, they're in first place, but uh, but as we just kind of outlined with Eddie, no- nothing seems can can confirmed in the Premier League right now. Nothing feels solid. Nobody feels like a like a like a good team, like an elite team.
5: No, I, I agree. I think the, the Premier League's down clearly when you see how they're playing in Europe. Uh that's definitely an indication, but I, hey, you know, where this team has been the last three years, I'll take top of the table at this point, Jason.
2: Okay, fair enough. Uh you feeling good about uh, about their prospects of staying there, though?
5: <laughs> well, defensively, they haven't really given up many goals. I, I think when you look at the, the scoring records in, in the league this year, I, I don't. they're one of the top teams as far as goals allowed. It's pretty low. Um, the question is always going to be with this team who's going to score goals, and now they've got Anthony Marshall uh, scoring goals and they they needed a striker up top. And, and they put Wayne Rooney back at the number 10 spot, which I think he's much more comfortable at. And we, we still haven't even seen Memphis really click on and, and do something in the Premier League. Once he gets going, yeah. if he gets going,
2: watch out. Yeah. By the way, I like the way you said that. Anthony Marshall. Anthony Marshall sounds like a cornerback from USC. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Martial sounds like a striker from Manchester United. Nick in Toledo, very good. Thanks for the call, man. Anything else before I let you go?
5: I just want to say thank you for your show. You do tremendous work both here and on satellite radio, and uh, you know you make podcasting better because of what you do. So thank ah, you. I appreciate it.
2: Nick is a, is a very very good podcaster in his own right. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate the call. He does his uh, stuff mostly on the NFL. I do soccer, but we all can come together as sports fans and. Share the love that is, I don't know, whatever. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Soccer Morning. Reminder, tomorrow, Friday, Monday, Jonathan Tannewald stepping in, filling my shoes uh, for three days. He'll do an excellent job. 10 a.m. Eastern Time. 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Do not, under any circumstances, send a tweet to Trevor Hayward or at Soccer Morning say, where's the show at 9? Because I'm telling you right now, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Jonathan Tannewald, Soccer Morning. I'll be back on Tuesday. Thank you very much for listening, guys, as always. um, Remember, the Rabble.tv USA Mexico broadcast, me and Jared Dubois, October 10th, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. You're going to be watching the game anyway. You might as well listen to us. We'll check you out. uh, I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Later. Did
5: my invitations disappear? What up on my heart?